All right. So we are going to continue talking about the attributes of God. How many, how many have enjoyed this series? I know I have. The attributes of God, it's so important. I was thinking about, thinking about why is this so important. You know, the better you know somebody, the more you're able to trust them. Or maybe not trust them, right? Thankfully with God, as you get to know him, your trust of him will grow. Because he is good and he is perfect. And he loves us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's so good. So these attributes are vitally, vitally important. The more that you know about God, the more you'll be able to trust him. The more you'll see him work in your life. The more you'll have confidence to go about your everyday and not live in worry and fear. Amen? Because there's plenty of that going around, and I don't need that. So, so today, uh, so we have gone through 13, I think. Um, we've gone through God is infinite, immutable. He is good. Sorry, love, good, wise, faithful, merciful, gracious, jealous, just, holy, protective, and patient. How many liked the patient one last week? Yeah. Um, today, we're going to be talking about God as a consuming fire. Woo! It's going to get hot in here today. No. God is a consuming fire. I'll read this, past, this uh, verse. And this is the verse I preached on when I talked about God is jealous. Deuteronomy 4, 23 and 24. It says, Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. Verse 24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. A consuming fire. This attribute is more, at first glance, a physical attribute than an emotional or behavioral one. A lot of the ones we've looked at, they're kind of deal with emotion or behavior. Uh, this is more of a physical attribute of God that when you see him, you're going to see fire. And we're going to talk about that. It's kind of like if I were to say, you know, how would you describe Andy? He has brown hair, big muscles. <laughs> Why'd you laugh? Yeah. Okay, so God is a consuming fire. And it's interesting because fire does actually have a behavior which we'll talk more about next week. I'm going to do two parts on this consuming fire because it's a big topic. Actually, all of them are, and you could do full-blown series on every single one of these attributes. But since Pastor Jason is gone for two weeks, I could do two uh, in a row and do a two-part on this one. So, I believe this um, attribute is fundamental to understanding who God is and will answer one of the biggest and hardest questions that a lot of people, including Christians, wrestle with. It's the question of why a fiery hell? How could God send people into a fiery torment for all eternity? How many have ever wondered about that question? Thought about it? Maybe somebody's asked that to you and you're like, you try to explain it. After today, I confidently believe it will make sense. Uh, the topic of hell and fire has been a hard topic for many, many people. Um, there's a whole ideology around it called annihilationism, where some people believe that when you get thrown into the lake of fire, you just completely stop existing, and um, it's, it's, it's out there. I don't personally believe that. I don't find it in Scripture, um, as you'll see in a little bit here. 
Um, this attribute is also going to answer some questions for us about how God operates as God. Why do we get tested in this life? How does God perfect us? How does he purify us? And, uh, yeah, how does, he, how does he change us and refine us? So we're going to talk more about those questions next week. Um, but I want to reiter- reiterate that all of God's attributes work together at the same time. So God is fire. He's also love at the same time. So this isn't going to be a uh, fire and brimstone message. I don't have to be afraid or anything like that. Um, it's going to be, I believe, hopefully an encouraging one and one that really challenges us in our walk and faith with the Lord. So how many have had experience with fire? I know my brother loves fireworks. He shot a bunch off, and we had a good time. Uh, my experiences with fire have been pretty much good. I've never been, like, really burned. I've, I've, I've suffered some burns, but nothing crazy. Um, all my experiences with fire are good. Campfires with my grandpa. How many like campfires? Roasting marshmallows on a cold night. You sit down, you get cool, you eat your marshmallows. Who likes s'mores? Many people do. Um, I've only ever had almost a bad experience with fire, where my uncle, when I was around 12 years old, my uncle Jimmy thought it would be a good idea to teach me to ride a dirt bike. And I was doing okay riding around the yard until I wasn't. And then he was like, stop, stop. And I kind of freaked out, and I'm driving right towards the fire pit, and the fire is going in the fire pit. And thankfully, I braked like just a couple feet before I got into it. So that was probably my most scary moment with fire. But fire is an amazing element on this earth. It's neither good nor bad, though I could argue that it is actually good because God is good and he is a consuming fire. Um, But man can use fire for good or for evil, but um, fire is really a neutral element on this earth. Fire has its own qualities. It is hot, right? It can become really hot. It produces light. How many remember watching movies and they light a torch on fire to go through a cave or something? It purifies, purifies water by killing the parasites in it. It refines metals, removing impurities and leaving simply the metal. So a 24-karat gold is pure gold, having no impurities. So if you have anything less than 24 carats, you have impurities in it. Sorry to bust your bubble. It improves the strength, hardness, toughness, ductility, and corrosion, resistance of metals. It melts things and makes them malleable, like hot glass that can be molded. It removes the dead so life can thrive. So controlled wildfires, for instance, regenerate the earth, remove what's dead, allowing important nutrients to re-enter the earth and creating new habitats for plants and animals to survive. Now, uncontrolled wildfires actually cause more damage. And as you can see, we had smoke coming over here from Canada, and it wasn't good. But fire is also mesmerizing. How many can just like sit down at a fire and you just find yourself staring into it? Because it's just, watching flames dance is probably one of the greatest things ever for me. I love it. So fire is remarkable, and yet it's a mystery. Why does fire occur at all? I was actually going to pull some science stuff out, but I didn't have time, and I'm really not that much of a science guy. Um, but why, does it, uh, why do things happen at all? The reason is because God is a consuming fire, as we just read. He is not like a fire. He is fire. And he is consuming, meaning to eat or devour, like to completely overtake things. He's a consuming fire. 
And I'm going to go through a number of scriptures here, and we'll just read them and kind of, we won't unpack too many of them deeply, but I just want to show you, um, if you were to do a study on fire and just type it into like a Bible search app, um, you're going to find tons of scripture around God. So, for instance, Ezekiel, I'm sorry, uh, Exodus 24:17, Israel at Mount Sinai as they had left Egypt. They're standing at the mountain, and they're in terror because they can't believe what they're seeing. And it says, The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And, you know, the translators wrote, like a consuming fire. But when you read the Hebrew, it just says, fire, consuming fire. God, the Lord, the glory of God, fire, consuming fire. Deuteronomy 9.3, God leading Israel through the wilderness, says, therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them, which was their enemies, and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Same type of thing. He is a fire, consuming fire. The prophet Ezekiel saw God and describes it. Ezekiel 1.13 says, As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. So when he sees God, he sees these, living, living, these four living creatures around the throne. And he says, they're like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning. A little couple verses down, Ezekiel 1, 26 through 28. I, I love reading about what God looks like from the prophets. It says, And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a, was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above, which is Jesus. Also, from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber, with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around, like the appearance of a rainbow and a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. You know, I think about that. Your son and your husband, they see it right now. My mom, they're seeing that. Daniel 7, 9 through 10. This is the prophet Daniel. He sees the Lord. He says, I watched till the thrones were put in place. So the book of Daniel is very prophetic about the end of time and the return of Jesus and all that's going to take place. And this is the end end in this passage here. He says, I watched till the thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels... God's throne has wheels. A burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. That fiery stream is actually a fiery river. That word is translated river every time in the Bible except for this one time here. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. That is the judgment seat of Christ on the day of judgment for all people. The Apostle John saw Jesus in his glory, Revelation 1, 12 through 15. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, 
one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Revelation nineteen eleven through 12, when Jesus comes back, says, Now I saw heaven opened, this is John, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was, faith, was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Second Peter three ten through 13 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening and the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And there are so many more examples of God and fire. God appeared to Moses as a burning bush. How many remember that story? Man, that would be so powerful. God led Israel through the wilderness as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Elijah called down fire from heaven to consume a water-saturated sacrifice as he displayed God's power against those that were committing idolatry. Elijah, the prophet Elijah, was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. Wow. Powerful. Elisha, the prophet that took over after Elijah left, prayed his servants' would, eyes would see, sorry, would be open, and he would see, and he saw multitudes of chariots of fire protecting them from their enemy. And don't forget the Holy Spirit. We were supposed to be baptized with fire. And when he came, he filled the disciples of the 120 in that upper room with fire, and it says tongues of fire were lit over their head. Fire. So I, had studied, I hadn't studied all this, but a few years back, I moved back in 2015 from New Jersey, and I was laying in my bed one night, and I just decided, I said, Lord, ask them this question, why did you decide that people who don't choose to follow Jesus would be cast into a lake of fire? I just asked that question out loud, and in my bed, I talk to the Lord out loud, generally, so... Uh, at least when I'm by myself. So. I don't want you to think I'm crazy, right? No. And immediately he replied to me uh, this. He said, it has to do with my identity and who I am. I am a fire and everyone will be tested by fire and ultimately everyone is going to dwell in fire. Everyone. Everyone will dwell in fire because he is a fire. So that immediately got me going and I started searching all these verses and others. And... I got so excited as I read it because everything just kind of started to make sense for me when I asked that question and I started to understand how God really works. See, part of God's identity and who he is, as we just saw, is fire, consuming fire. It's not something that he turns off and on. He's not like the human torch from Fantastic Four. Who knows Fantastic Four? Yeah. And I, you know, of all of the four, I don't know which one I'd be. The fire one's pretty cool. The long arm, or the guy that can stretch, pretty cool. The rock guy thing, is that what he's called? Just, he got the worst 
deck of cards in that deal. Like, ugh. But anyways, the human torch, thing, he can turn it on and off, right? God doesn't turn it on and off. He always is. He might reveal himself to us, and we don't see him blazing fire all the time, but he is fire. It's who he is. And what that means then, in Genesis, when God created man in his image, we were made to resemble and look like God and be able to dwell in the fire. When he created us, we were made to look like him and dwell in him, in his fire. When an angel or any other creature would see man, it would look at man and say, he looks like God. Adam and Eve apparently glowed and shined with the glory and fire of God. How do I know? Well, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree that they shouldn't have, and they said we were naked, their clothes, they weren't wearing clothes. They didn't just like, hey, walking around with clothes on and eat the fruit and it's gone. They, they, they didn't have clothes on. What did they have? How did they recognize that they were naked? Something left them. And I, when I look at Moses, when Moses is on the mountain with God in Exodus, Exodus 34, you can read that chapter, it says, when he was with God, his face radiated light so bright that they had to put a veil over him because his face was glowing so brightly they couldn't even look at him That's what Adam and Eve looked like, except for everywhere. It wasn't just their face. They were covered in the glory and the power of God. That's what we're going to look like one day. Amen? We're going to be glowing with the fire of God. We were made not only to resemble him for a little bit, but to dwell, to always dwell in the fire. We were made to always dwell in God. The consuming fire. God is infinite. He's not going to end. Revelation twenty two thirteen says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Psalm 104, 1 through 4. This passage really spoke to me all those years ago when God began speaking to me about this. It says, God makes his servants into a flame of fire. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds. His ministers, also translated servants, a flame of fire. How many of you are servants of the Lord? He's going to make you into a flame of fire. And in fact, you already are. You just can't see it. The righteous were made to dwell with fire. This passage really answers some questions for me. Isaiah 33, 14 through 16. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? Those who walk righteously and speak what is right, who reject gain from extortion and keep their hands from accepting bribes, who stop their ears against plots of murder and shut their eyes against contemplating evil. They are the ones who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. Their bread will be supplied and water will not fail them. We were created to be one with the fire. 
And if you remember, I asked the Lord, why did you decide that people who don't choose to follow Jesus would be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity? It was the wrong way for me to ask that question. God didn't decide one day that eternal punishment would be fire because it's hot and it sounds like a really painful way to suffer. That's not how God thinks. That's not the way he, that's not part of his character. Everyone will dwell in fire no matter what because God is a consuming fire. We were made by the fire to be one with the fire forever. Nothing exists outside of God. When people die and they enter into eternity, it's not like the Bible says, Paul says, we live and move and have our being in him. Everything is in God. You're not going to God and then get cast in the lake of fire and then now you're outside of his purview. No. Everyone's, everything is consumed by him. Everything is made by him. So nothing exists outside of God. And the reason people will dwell in fire is because there's no other option. It's who he is. Everyone will dwell in fire, period. God's not going to stop being who he is. Eternal beings created by God, by God will always be created by God. Death does not mean you no longer exist. It means you can no longer dwell in unity with the fire for those that don't know him. Everyone will dwell in fire, but only the righteous will be able to dwell with the fire and not be burned. <clears throat> now, this is my own idea. Um, just I, This is the way I think. But in Daniel 7, 9 through 10, it says the fiery stream tra- flowed from his throne. And sometimes I wonder, is the lake of fire that all those who will not know Jesus, who don't choose Jesus at the end of their life, when they're thrown at that lake, is that lake supplied by the throne, by fire from the throne of God? I wonder, where is that fiery stream flowing to? Because everyone will dwell in fire, period. There is no way around it. So you were created to be one. We were created to be one with the consuming fire. How do we become one with the fire then? If everyone's going to dwell in fire because God is a consuming fire and you cannot escape God at all, how do you become one with the fire? And that brings us to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many have read that story? I love that story. It's probably one of my favorite, favorite stories in the Bible. And in this story, you're going to see how this works. You're going to see how God makes his servants a flame of fire and how those who aren't his servants don't survive the fire. So the story takes place in Daniel 3. You mind if I get some water real quick? Pardon me, guys. Talking a lot dries your mouth out, let me tell you. I don't have this passage of Scripture up on the, on the screen, so I'm just going to kind of read it to you guys. Um, But if you want to follow along, it's going to be Daniel 3, and I'm going to go from verses 15 through 30. And um, the story picks up, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, had captured Jerusalem and took Israel captive. God raised up four young men from Israel to influence Babylon. Um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now this story centers around just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, the king decided to build this giant statue of himself made of gold. 
I'm sure it was pure gold, too. Um, and he said everyone needed to worship him. Anyone who didn't worship, worship this golden idol of himself would be killed and thrown by being thrown into a fiery furnace. And the three men, they would not do it. And it was reported to the king. And he threatens them. <clears throat> and this is what they start. I'm going to start reading in, in uh, Daniel 3.15. <clears throat> this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe. I didn't know they had bagpipes back then. But okay. Bagpipe. And every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made <clears throat> well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I love that they still replied to him as O king, because they were still respectful of the authority that God had given him. Because believe it or not, if you read through, the, through Scripture, God raised up Nebuchadnezzar to actually go and take captive Israel as judgment against them. God raised him up. Which is very interesting. And then God led Nebuchadnezzar, when you read through Daniel, he led him on a journey to himself. Nebuchadnezzar became a follower of God. The guy who, like, slaughtered people and took over this, destroyed a tent, their temple, took over their land, made them slaves. God saved him. And it makes me, it causes me to be uh, humbled and, um, I don't know the word. When I think about, like, the president of the, of the United States or any wicked leader in this world, I need to be careful how I speak about them because God saved King Nebuchadnezzar. Really bad dude. And God wants to save those men and women that are in leadership with much power who are just evil and vile. He wants to save them too. Not all of them will be saved. But perhaps some. Anyways, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. So it was really hot. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's orders were, were urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell bound into the fiery furnace. And here's the miracle. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three, three men bound into the fire? They answered and said, O king, true, O king. He answered and said, 
but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God's. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. The three men came out from the fire, and the satraps and prefects and governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Their hair, the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except for their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted the three men in the province of Babylon. They became fire, ministering flame, torches, just like we read. The Lord makes his servants a flame of fire. They became fire. When they entered in, because they were one with God, they did not burn. The Lord showed up with them in the fire. But those that were not one were burned by that same fire. And that's what eternity is going to be like. Only those who dwell with the fire and know him personally will be able to withstand the fire. Everyone else will end up in the fire but not being able to withstand it. God is not an evil God and throwing people into fire because he wants to be mean or you know, harm them. It's because it's who he is and it's the only way it can go. <clears throat> this is what will happen on Judgment Day. And as I think about it, it makes me, stirs my heart. How much more do I need to tell people about Jesus? How much more do I need to live a life that shines with that fire so that way people know that they can become one with the fire, that they can live for eternity with God? So how do we become one with the fire? I kind of just mentioned it. You need to personally know God and he know you. Daniel 3.17 the, boy, the men, they said, If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to, del- to deliver us. They had a personal relationship with God. They knew him. They knew him. Matthew seven twenty one through 23, this passage of Scripture, sorry if this is kind of heavy, but this passage of Scripture is uh, one that always gets me. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, that's, that's a downright amazing passage of Scripture because you can't do some of the things that he mentioned unless you actually knew Jesus, which means some people will fall away. And they'll say, but didn't we do all these things? And he's like, I I never knew you. We have to know God at a heart level, not just a mind level. So we need to become one with him. 
personally know him. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. The second thing to do to become one with the fire is you have to abandon the world, its gods, and its agendas. Daniel 3.18, the boys, the men, they said, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. So they're like, if, we, if God doesn't save us, it doesn't really matter. We're not going to serve your gods. They abandoned and rejected anything outside of God's ways of believing and living. They would not compromise. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the things of the world, the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, what is the world? I heard it um, described like this. I have it up on the screen. screen. The collective momentum and values of human sin that when brought together has a force that is very hard to resist. The world is a system of fallen humanity that is committing, committed to making like, life work without God. It is the kingdom without the king, and it is everywhere. That is the world. The world is made up of gods and demonic and sinful human agendas. The gods of the world can be many things, fame and fortune, possessions, people, celebrities. can be our own dreams, our own desires, ourselves, building our own kingdoms apart from God. I mean, Satan wanted to be God. Every person's tendency, apart from God, is to be their own God. We take this stance until we know the Lord. You can't tell me what to do. I'm autonomous. I'm right. Don't judge me. That's how the gods of the world think. The agendas of the world, there's many of them. There's political agendas, which we see every day. There's financial agendas, which we see every day. Educational agendas, which we see every day. Sexual agendas. Social agendas. Entertainment agendas. Even nature agendas. All over the news, being pumped to us on on social media. It's everywhere telling us, you need to do it this way. You need to acknowledge this as right and good. When the Bible says, that's not right and that's not good. And so we need to abandon those things. It does not mean abandon people. It means abandon the idea, ideas, the ideology, the, the ways. But we need to love people. We need to reach out to them and show them Jesus every day. No matter what they're going through. Because the only thing that separates us from anyone else that doesn't know Jesus is Jesus. Right? Isaiah 5, 20-24 this is, the st- this is a big passage, but it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom 
go up like dust, for they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. I don't want to be like that. Amen? We're not going to be like that, amen? Amen. We can stand up for our God like the three men. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the leaders say. I'm not bowing down to that. So here's the challenge for all of us today. If you are not a follower of Jesus yet, today is a great day to become one. Because he loves you. He wants you to dwell with him. That's why God sent Jesus. So if, let me ask just a couple questions. Do you feel at peace in your heart and mind with how you're living? Do you, can feel tent, do you feel content with the path you are on? Or do you know that something is not right? Are things working out as you had hoped? If you were to die right now, would you feel peace about what comes next? <clears throat> if not, today's your day because you can have that peace. You can know who you really were meant to be and be delivered from the things that are holding you back. That's what God has for you. I'm not promising you a perfect life, of course, because people who follow Jesus are not loved by the world. John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So following Jesus isn't easy, but it is how we become one with the fire. And he promises us life for eternity, fulfilling our desires and hopes and dreams in him, knowing him. For those of you who are followers of Jesus and have become one with the fire, I want to challenge all of us, myself included, which I'm doing regularly, how much of the world and the gods of this world and its agendas are we submersed in? Do we let into our lives? The world will pour water on your fire. How many of you have been following Jesus and then, you know, starting off and it's like going, you just feel so close to the Lord and then it can be a week, it can be a month, it can be a year and you find yourself not as close to the Lord. And you start to feel like you're wandering and uh, just kind of lost. Anybody ever felt that way? I know. I have. It's because we have allowed the world in, in some way. I had this dream one time where I was, it was kind of a scary dream. I was uh, in my porch and it was dark outside and there was people outside and there was this little old lady outside of my door to the porch and she was like trying to she's like let me in let me in and I didn't feel good about letting her in I didn't even feel good about cracking the door open in this dream and she convinced me and I opened the door and just cracked it open and the next thing in that dream I was instantly on the other side of the door so I was outside no longer in my porch and she was inside my house and my house was being ransacked. And all because I opened the door a crack. And that's how the world works. When you open the door a crack to the world, it just starts getting in. And it's going to pour, fi- pour water on your fire for the Lord. And so I want to challenge us. What are the things in your life? Where, where are you letting things in? 
What are you approving and agreeing with? What are the collective values of sinful culture that you are agreeing with? What systems of fallen humanity are you agreeing with? What part of your life are you trying to live without God? What gods are you worshiping that are coming before Jesus? And is what the Bible says is and is it what the Bible says is good or evil? This passage always gets me. James four, four through five. James is speaking to the church <clears throat> at large here, and he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with, with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he who yearns jealousy jealously over the spirit that he has made sorry. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? He yearns jealously for us. He wants us. So I want to challenge all of us. And I want to take the next couple of minutes to just do that. We have a couple minutes. Jake, if you could hop back up on the piano. I don't want to just move on from this. I want to just take a couple minutes and all of us, if you don't know Jesus, if I have uh, the um, small group leaders, if you could come up to the front. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you to come up here and talk to somebody and let them lead you in that process of coming to know Jesus. If you do know Jesus, I want to challenge you right now to just close your eyes and begin asking, Lord, where am I letting the things of the world into my life? What am I believing in the culture? That I, what am I believing that the Bible says is not right? What agenda have I tagged on to that is pulling me away from you, that, this, that the Word of God does not say is good? These can be deep things, guys. Some of these things are very personal things. Identity issues. All kinds of things. But just take a moment. Father, I, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that you are a consuming fire. And we want to be one with the fire. We want to be one with you. And I ask you right now just to stir our hearts as we take a couple minutes speak to our hearts and show us the things that we need to eliminate from our lives. Show us the things that we should not be partnering with. Show us the things that we've cracked the door open to that we need to close. And give us the courage, God, and stir our to, to follow you and stir our hearts, Father God, also to tell people how much God loves them that the fire was made for them to dwell in and be one with. That you are a good God. And I ask you to touch every heart right now.
Father, we surrender our hearts to you. Lord, let this message of your fire, of who you are, just resonate in us. Father, we ask you to stir up your fire in us. Pour your oxygen onto it. That we might shine for you. That we might be purified in you, Lord Jesus. Let us never look at you in the same way to know just who you are and how holy you are, how powerful you are, and how good you are, how loving you are, that you made us to be one with you, to dwell in you. We surrender our hearts to you. If any of you need prayer, please come forward. We're here to pray with you. If you have not received Jesus, he, the Father, God sent Jesus to die for your sins so you could have eternal life and become one with him and have a friend that will never leave you and that will help you and make you and perfect you into who he created you to be. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have eternal life. And that is for you today. So please come up here. If you would like to continue, we'll just continue to play for a little bit. You're welcome to come up front and uh, just pray on your own as well. Next week, we are going to continue talking about the fire. And uh, I'm excited for it. And uh, just come ready to let the Lord minister to your heart. And uh, amen. We love you guys. And you are dismissed.